This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the fifth episode of Analyzing Anfield, part of your Blood Red channel. Just like to say, first and foremost, thank you very much for lending your ears to us to listen to what we have to say. We're obviously trying to analyze all the uh, the minute details of what's going on at, uh, at Liverpool Football Club and uh, it's really nice that you've uh, you, you've welcomed us with open arms I suppose so I'm your host Christian Walsh and as ever alongside me is Josh Williams how are you doing Josh? Good yeah as always um, five episodes in as well so the analysing Anfield title stays it stays that's it now Tough luck if you've uh, you know gone for something else and it just wasn't quite good enough. We uh, we're going to stick with the analysing Anfield. We've uh, we've had it for five episodes. We we've worn them in like a new pair of slippers. Uh, we quite like it to be honest. What we didn't like, I suppose, Josh, was the international break. I mean, have you been spending it? Have you you know have, have you managed to cope with the boredom? Uh, it's difficult to get through. Like for me, um, it, sometimes it's like to try to watch a good few matches but this time around I've been a bit busy and maybe took a little bit not not necessarily a break but spent a bit less time than I usually would watching football like I've just caught the you know the main bits the highlights a couple of 30 minute periods of certain matches and things like that I've, I've I've taken this as a break. I've got no problem admitting that. I've need I needed the break. I needed the break before what could be an absolutely huge, monumental two months for Liverpool. Just before we talk about Liverpool, although we will talk about Liverpool, of course, but we will look at the internationals with a with a red tint to them. Um, First and foremost, Josh, uh, England played. Um, please don't turn off, by the way. We're not going to talk about England, we promise. We are going to talk about Jordan Henderson, however. There's a piece in The Independent um, by Jonathan Liu. I think he's a very talented writer. He's a really good lad as well. Um, and, you know, he, he basically wrote a very gushing piece about Jordan Henderson's performance against the Czech Republic. Now, the reason I've brought this up is that I think Henderson could be absolutely vital to Liverpool in these last two months he's obviously the club captain still splits that opinion and that's something that we'll obviously address in a moment but just first and foremost you know how important do you think he's going to be in this title running and of course the, the last days of the Champions League well we've spoken about Henderson on this this show before haven't we um, he's the type of person that like he, he just knows what he's good at um, and he contributes exactly that I think some players are maybe victims to their own versatility and they eventually become, you know, they, they almost turn into players whereby they, they don't know what they are. And they get to a point in the career whereby they, they, they're not specifically great at anything. And I think Henderson, he, as I said, he knows very, he knows exactly what he's good at. He's got a clearly defined role in terms of ball winning, keeping things simple. And just little things as well in terms of winning titles, little things like... You know, when there's a foul, he'll have a go at the referee more than any other player, and just little things like that that winners, winning teams have. Um, Henderson demonstrates, and um, yeah, he's just a player that, as I said last time, he's just a a very good player, very good person to have around the club. He does divide opinion. There's no getting away from that. And so what we will do here is sort of look at the good and and look at the the maybe the bad as well. You know, we know what he does well at Liverpool. Thought it was interesting. I had a little look at the numbers, and he's he's fifth in the league in terms of midfielders. Um, I, I filter this so it's a thousand minutes um, minimum played this season. Um, but out of the, the the midfielders who played a thousand minutes or more this season, you know he's fifth in terms of long passes per ninety, uh, with sixty percent accuracy. Now, when you play the way Liverpool play, that's that that's surely an important skill set. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. But the thing is, he, he does it at the right moments. He does it at the crucial times. Certain players, say for example, Grand Jackers just came to mind. We'll just hit the Hollywood pass consistently, you know, every five minutes to an extent. And you don't have to. Um, Gerard also was prone to, you know, hitting a few when he didn't really need to. And Henderson seems to do it with, you know, the right amount of caution and with a bit of cleverness about it. Um, so although he'll play, you know, predominantly sideways and backwards, if you like, which he get, gets a fair amount of stick for, he has got that in his locker. He's demonstrated that more, you know, very often. And as I said, crucially, we see it at the right moments. You said there about some passing backwards, you know, it is a criticism that's levelled at him. And I think when you watch him, it can feel like that, certainly. Um, you know, he can be too safe. And he's actually eighth in terms of backward passes per 90. Again, filtering it with a thousand minutes there. Uh, out of the midfielders in the Premier League but what I would say about that when I was looking at this it's a top 20 that's dominated by the top teams in fact there's only one player outside of the top 6 who's in that top 20 and that's actually Tom Kearney for Fulham Um, five Liverpool players are in there in terms of backward passes per 90 Shaqiri's in there yeah per 90 Shaqiri's in there per 90 uh, above him and as are the two um, the two silvers at Manchester City um, and actually Naby Keita isn't far behind Henderson as well in terms of number of backward passes per 90 so it's a very I think you know it, it, is that sometimes a statistic that we get too wrapped up in you know because the way Liverpool play and clearly because of the way the top six play they're going to play with a lot of bodies in front of them a lot of the time you know is is that backwards pass necessary? Yeah well I think what you've just been saying there in terms of the the top 20 consistent of mainly players that are in the top team 19 top out of 20 yeah yeah, well, there you go. I think it stems from, you know, the, the stylistic approach of, of teams and the, the top sides. You think of the likes of Spurs, City and Liverpool and Chelsea as well. It's all about probing and you're going to see a lot of the ball. It's all about moving your opponents with the ball. And if that means going backwards, it means going backwards. That's just that's just how it is. And it, it's different if you're going backwards in the wrong moments. It's different if you're going backwards when there's a clear opportunity to progress forwards. That's when it should be fairly criticised but just backwards passing as a as a number in terms of output you know with no context to that that's 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 not something I'd pay too much attention to personally and you know things that he doesn't do well though we will address the criticisms you know his assists and his goals and his expected assists and expected goals you know that they're probably not high enough really even though he does play in the six you know and he's not necessarily expected to do that He's not necessarily ranking high on XG chain, which is something we've spoken about before on the on the podcast. You can listen to some of the episodes in the archives on that. So you know, it was interesting watching them against Czech Republic. I, you know, I, I caused a little bit of it, and and, and you know, this is what uh, Jonathan Lee was mentioning in his report. You know, at the very start, he was playing almost as an eight rather than a six. Um, you know, is, is that you know is that a, is that something he can still play at Liverpool? Is that something that you could see him doing in the future? Well, it's, I mean, what you've just mentioned there about him not having much in terms of XG and expected assists and things like that, that comes back to what I said at the start of the pod in terms of him being, having such a clearly defined role. Mm. Um, I'll mention it again, you know, what I mentioned in the last episode, the radars that I've been making lately, um, you know, you'll see that on my Twitter accounts if you follow me. At distance covered. Yeah, distance covered, yeah. Tell them what it is. <laughs> uh, 
Almost at 10,000. But yeah, what they do, they they offer an insight into output, but they also give you a a rough guideline as to the type of role that a player is fulfilling. Um, And Henderson shows up well for things like passes into the final third, his dual success, his interceptions. And that just stems from the role of, of what it is to be a top team's number six, if you like. He was asked, I'm not exactly sure when I got this quote from, I didn't actually check, but it's been in the past couple of months. And he was asked, I think, whilst on international duty, about his role at Liverpool. And he, his response was, I'm focusing on protection, being disciplined, being careful, worrying about counter, counter-attacks. And that that's essentially his role. That, that's what he's about. So, you know, the, the whole creating thing isn't really his responsibility in the scoring thing, isn't either. But recently, you know, as you mentioned, for England, he did seem to play a bit of a box-to-box role. And I always liked Henderson in that role simply because of his uh, his stamina and his mobility and, you know, the endeavour that he's willing to put in. The only downside to it is the fact that he, he does have virtually zero creative threat. And what I've just said then, in terms of his role being deeper and defined defensively, some players have got a bad offensive output because of the role that they're given. Henderson has got a bad offensive output about because of the role he's given, but also because of his overall game as well. It's not just he's a case not a creator, is yeah, he? He's not a creator. Stop. It's not just a case of he's in a defensive role. It's a case of he's just a defensive limited attack and player as it is anyway. That's that's the crux of it. And, um you know it's it's positive in some aspects, but if you're gonna use Henderson in, in a in a box to box role when you need him to to do things in the final third, he's probably not gonna be the most useful. I mean you mentioned there about the final third not final third, sorry. Um no it is it passes into the final third, which is I suppose, you know, think about that. I think that probably sounds a little bit more impressive than it is. If you think about divide the pitch into thirds, then that's actually quite a big part of the of the pitch, the final third. But um, you know, he's actually second in the league again using the same metrics: a thousand minutes uh, minimum. You know, with midfielders in the Premier League, he's actually second in the league behind Jorginho, per ninety in terms of those passes into the final third. But he actually doesn't rank very highly at all in terms of passes into the penalty area and uh, through balls. So that just sort of shows you, as you say, his role, I think, in terms of he's basically there as the platform, isn't he? And, and you know, the, the game that, you know, Mr. Lou was, uh, was um, eulogising about was uh, the Czech Republic there. He had 21 passes into the final third, um, which is, you know, 17 of those were successful, which shows you, you know, he was maybe a little bit more attack-minded than, than we used to. What, what I would bring up, 21 was quite a lot, actually. He doesn't normally hit those numbers for Liverpool in general on a game-by-game basis? I've just mentioned, just as, an, as a note on that, the, the radars that I'm currently creating, the, the, the radars are based on, yeah, like each area is based on a gold standard. So say I, I posted a radar the other day for Messi, Messi's radar. and Still like a spider's web, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it did. But the, take, for example, goals. Very rarely in Europe at the minute, do you find a player who is scoring more than 0.8 goals per 90? Mm. So there's your gold standard. Messi meets that gold standard, so he maxed it out. Um, and in terms of Henderson, 
I just saying then? What was this about? Well, you're talking about his, his, his passes, yeah. Yeah, so in, in the final third, the, you know, you don't get many that hits over 15 per 90. So if he's at 22 in one match, that's that's way over the gold standard mm, for a match. For I mean, it's obviously comes up comes down to the fact that you're playing an inferior opponent. But, you know, 22 is... is considerably over the gold standard. Well, I found this very interesting as well because as you say, it, it, you know, it, it's 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 rare that a, a player hits, let's say, 15 or more. Certainly Henderson's only hit 20 or more for Liverpool on a handful of occasions. His highest for Liverpool this season actually was against Crystal Palace. He hit 32, sorry, 34 passes into the final third. 32 of those successful, which is just phenomenal. Now, Liverpool scored four goals, but they also conceded three. So, is it a case of, you you know, supporters who want to see Henderson maybe be that little bit more adventurous, you're potentially sacrificing that stability that he brings you? Because yeah. you remember that game as well, Liverpool were hitting the counter a fair few times. I can't remember it being a particularly good game from Henderson. So even though his numbers are maxing out here in terms of, oh, he's getting the ball forward, he's getting the ball to feet... It obviously come at a bit of a price because Crystal Palace scored three goals, albeit you know one of them was a set piece, another was a late a late goal. Um, you know when Liverpool basically switched off, but they created chances as well throughout the ninety Palace. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's something he's usually good at Henderson. He's usually good at getting the balance right. Mm. Um, in fact, he usually goes a little too much the opposite way. In fact, in terms of being a little bit too much too defensive orientated rather than being offensive minded. But um, yeah, that, I mean that that may have just been a, you know, a, an anomaly if you like in terms of conceding so much. But yeah, he's he's he's, he's very very useful anyway. And in, in terms of the the upcoming Champions League one as well, his ball winning is is crucial against the top teams. Just the way in which he wins the ball with his first touch, and he doesn't have to take another touch to lay onto it. A teammate, just little things like that that go unnoticed. Henderson really. Provides an awful lot. Okay, so we'll move on to his, uh, his international, sorry, his, his club uh, midfield teammate, uh, a player who also caught the eye during the international break. And he's done this a fair few times now under Ronald Koeman. That's uh, Genie Wijnaldum. Now, you, you wrote about him a little bit um, this week, Josh, about how he's always a player that's kind of baffled you. I mean, I, you know, I'll hold my hands up. I think he's sort of he might be the, the the one player who belies any sort of statistical analysis, and we shouldn't really say that on this show. But as we'll discuss in a little bit, he, he doesn't really come out high on many metrics, but he clearly serves a purpose for for Jurgen Klopp. You know, do, do you want to just sort of delve into a little bit why you you, you find him such such a strange player at Liverpool? Yeah, why Alden is a <laughs> the enigma, isn't he? He's, he's he is the enigma to say the least. Yeah. I've wrote to both of them. I seem to write to both of them at least once a year. <laughs> it's like a yearly update now. Uh, initially, it was a, it was more of a like a couple of years ago. I'm talking now. It was more of a noch. I think I was a bit less of a fan of him. Mm. I think now I've come to appreciate him more, but I still don't overly know what for. Mm. I don't actually. I don't. I mean, if if he's not on if he's not on the team sheet and he's not starting. I am a bit concerned, but I couldn't actually tell you why. Because um, in terms of like measurable output, there's li- very little there in terms of passing, you know, winning duels, interceptions, playing into the final third, through balls, goals, assists. He doesn't offer 
much at all in terms of numbers. Uh, obviously, things like influence and personality and tactical awareness and covering... They're intangibles, things. though, aren't they? You yeah, can't. exactly. You can't measure them. But the stuff that you can measure, he doesn't perform very well. And just to, to capture that, I used the radars this week to get up Oxlade-Chamberlain, who clearly is a carrier with the ball, clearly a midfield dribbler. He offers that. I got up Henderson's. He clearly is, you know, what we said before, into, you know, a, a six that wins the ball, stops counter-attacks and quickly lays it off forwards, feeds the players into the final third and then just doesn't do a lot more. Um, why Wijnaldum just does a little bit of everything, but not to, you know, at a high level. And I want to say a little bit of everything. That's excluding creativity, which there's virtually nothing there in terms of that. So he's, he's just an odd player. I, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm, I don't not like him. It sounds like we're being negative, but it, yeah, it, you know, it's like important to point out you, you are a fan, but it's just yeah, in terms of what you can actually measure what he's doing, it's pretty hard. Yeah, there's something about him that I do like, but I can't actually pinpoint what it is. And I'm, I'm always open to different theories as to what, what people think his role is. But it's ultimately all guesswork because we don't know what Klopp, what Klopp has actually assigned him. My personal opinion is similar to what I said last week regarding Mane and Salah. People think they've got different roles, one's the creator, one's the scorer. I think Wijnaldum's role is the same as Milner's or the same as whoever is playing as the other eight, either side of Henderson or Fabinho or whoever will mm-hmm. play. I think that eight role is the same as the other eight role. I don't think there's a, a massive difference there. I don't think there's enough there to to say it's different in terms of Milner playing on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the outputs of the two, stuff that you can quantify, passing forwards, passing to the final third... Um, interceptions made and things like that. Milner just outperforms him in every area. As I said, I'm st- I'm strictly talking about stuff you can quantify mm. here. Um, because personally, I'd rather have Wijnaldum in the team than Milner. Yeah, most people would. I probably would myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, if, if Milner wasn't in the team, I'd be less concerned mm. than if Wijnaldum was. Yep. But it wasn't. But he's a really odd player and he's one that I've tried to nail for years, but I still can't really... He's, he's baffling. Well, I'll rattle out a, a few of the, the, the numbers here, or which which sort of will, will back up what we're trying to say here. So he's ninth in terms of expected assists. This is all per 90 at Liverpool. He's ninth in expected assists. He's seventh in expected goals. He's 11th for forward passes. He's 10th for key passes, which when you think about it, he is a, you know, he's a midfielder. That's remarkable. Uh, and he's also eighth in terms of passes into the final third. Uh, granted, that's probably because he's playing a little bit more advanced than, say, Henderson. But what I will say, you're saying, you know, there's theories. It's, it's not necessarily a theory, but it is something that's worth thinking about, and I'll throw it to you. Having a look at his metrics and where he stands in Liverpool's, you know, lineup, etc. He's fourth for average long pass length behind Allison, which you'd expect. Trent, which we've seen as well a number of times. And obviously Van Dijk, who spreads the play remarkably well. But he's also the most accurate with his long passes out of anyone else in his in in, in the Liverpool team. Is that his hidden strength? Is that so? I'm, I'm, it's not necessarily getting detected. The, Liverpool like to switch the play. They like to use the fullbacks. They like to get the fullbacks involved quickly. 
and get Trent on the ball, get Robertson on the ball. We get Salah and Mane inside, and then the you know the, the, basically Liverpool have got three, four options to go at. Is that why Alden's role and maybe? that's what Klopp likes so much that he spreads the play he spreads it quickly and he spreads it accurately that that could be something that personally I'm missing but that's not something I consistently see when I watch him play mm. I wouldn't have the uh, Trent yes Van Dijk yes Alisson of course yeah. I would have had Robertson ahead of him in terms of pass length probably would have had Matip probably Matip although he likes to sort of come yeah. out of defence and play it a bit shorter I mean, um, what you've just said there about his hidden strength, I, th- I think the accuracy would be his hidden strength mm. more than the long passing. Uh, in in the piece that I wrote, he's behind only Mateo Kovacic for passing accuracy in the league. Mm. That's for players that have played over a thousand minutes. And it's worth saying as well, his accuracy was virtually identical to Kovacic's having played a thousand more minutes than him. Mm. So it's it's safe to say safer than he's a better he's yeah. a better passer yeah yeah but but that's it though what you've just said there is a better passer that's not necessarily the case he's just a safer passer mm. you know good passing accuracy is a, a you know a, a measurements or whatever you want to call it from years ago when people really started looking at possession numbers and this was when. If you won the possession, you won. You were a good team, mm-hmm. which isn't is just nonsense. It's not the case at all. I think with passing accuracy, it offers an insight into a role and it offers an insight into the nature of a player. And with Wijnaldum being the most accurate passer in the league, obviously it's not a bad thing, but it offers an insight into the risk that he maybe takes on the ball. Would you read anything to the fact that he's top for long passes at Liverpool as well? He's top. He's top. That's surprising. <laughs> that's right. That he's top. For, he's top for long passes at Liverpool as well. Yeah. Just let me. Do you want me to? Over I'll just, Van Dijk. Over Van Dijk. Let me just double check that. This is this is according to White Scout. I'll just make sure that I haven't um, misread that. But yeah, let me just double check. But you know, in general, while I'm checking that, talk a little bit about his time at um, you know Holland. You know, playing as the number ten. Now he used to do this for Newcastle. He used to do for PSV Eindhoven. Uh, even finalled as well. Has Klopp maybe missed a little bit of a trick here by not playing him in that role when when Liverpool have have have, have struggled to get any sort of real incision out of that midfield? It, 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 should they have been playing him a little bit further forward because he, he's getting assists for Holland, albeit it's a small sample size, but he's getting assists, he's getting chances, he's getting goals. Yeah, I understand the point, but I think he's although he's played as an attacker in the past and he does it for Holland, and he's done it for Feyenoord. I don't think he's a good enough attacker to be an attacker for Liverpool in this current Liverpool side. You know, you're competing with the likes of Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Mo Salah, Shaqiri. These are players that, you know, are above Wijnaldum's level in terms of attacking. So I I don't particularly blame Klopp for for not using him as an attacker and I, th- I don't think he's particularly missed the trick or anything like that and there's some unbelievable attacker that we're waiting to get a, a bit of output out of I just think he's but this 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 also you know adds to the enigma because he the fact that he's played as an attacker should mean that he's got a bit of an attacking intent about him and he's got a nature to get forward and things like that but you do not see it in his current role 
And as I said, that could be due to the role or it could be just him. I don't know. I, I do not know what it is. But the, the two possible conclusions that I came to in the piece when I was looking at his radars and stuff is that he's either a very average midfielder or he's fulfilling a role that's specifically focused on safety and keeping the ball and keeping things ticking over, if you like. Because, as I said, the radars offer an insight into a role and with Wijnaldum, with Ryan Aldum, you don't, there's not one there. It's just like a, a very basic radar that offers a level of output in, say, in, in some areas. I want to say level of output, I mean like 50% in every area, just a, mm. just a basic radar, do you yep. know what I mean? There's nothing really there. Uh, really strange. I, I had a little look into it before on my scout, just trying to find players that are similar, really. It's players with similar radars. And the most similar I could find in the Premier League was, I mean, these are total random players, Jack Koch, <laughs> Czech Kuyate, and Nampolis Mendy, who plays for Leicester. They're just three. I mean, what would you say there? I mean, he's, are? He's, just... he's better than all of them, no, surely. You know, yeah, but, I mean, but, but this, this is the enigma. He's, he's obviously better than those three players, but he's, his output is, you know. Yeah, he's obviously a better player. And when, when he's pressed and things like that, I'm always impressed by his ability, ability to retain the ball. Mm. If you try and get the ball off Wijnaldum, you're not getting it. But he dribbles, for example, less, less frequently than Milner. Hmm. Milner's how old is Milner? 33 There you go he, Do you know what I mean It's it's weird Milner's not particularly known For his dribbling Wijnaldum you'd argue Maybe is Because he demonstrates A good level of it But he doesn't do it He doesn't try it Don't know if it's a safety thing Don't know if it's a, a mentality thing Or a self-belief thing I, I, I've got no idea What it is But It is odd Yeah he's, he's, he's In terms of a thousand minutes I've just got it up as well He's fourth so anyone who's played a thousand minutes or more, he's fourth in terms of the average long pass length. Grant says he doesn't actually pass too much per ninety long. Um, he's well. He's to be fair, he's way way down there. But his, as I say, his accuracy is better than only by. I mean, storage, but he's only played four hundred eight minutes. So in terms of the players who've who've played a thousand minutes or more, you know, he's on seventy percent long pass accuracy. So you know, I mean, what I've just said then about finding players that are similar, I also find players that were similar purely for passing. Mm. So this was after removing things like XG and yeah. removing things like interceptions and stuff and looking purely at his passing game. And three midfielders that I found were not necessarily the same or anything like that, but similar in terms of the same like box, if you like. Uh, N'Golo Kante, Declan Rice and Javi Martinez. They were three well-known players mm. who pass in a similar nature to Wijnaldum based on through balls, passes into the final third, forward passes, accuracy and things like that. So, you know, make make what you want of that. But I mean, they're great players. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, they're players, not necessarily yeah, renowned players. as great passes, but they're, they're good players. You know, it's... it's, yeah, it's but, yeah, and another thing as well, you'd... I mean, perhaps not with Kante this season. I mean, maybe so. He's the, he's Kante, you'd say, is a defensively orientated number eight this season mm. for Maurizio Sarri and certainly the other two are defensive players but as, as we've just said before he's at number 10 for his country mm. scoring goals he's just I mean we watched I watched a 
video a couple of weeks ago, can't remember who it was with, but it was a, a, a Liverpool journalist and he, he described Wijnaldum as a chameleon. Mm. And I think that's a completely... I think it might have been Neil Jones once uh, in this chapel. Been, you know, I yeah. think it was Neil Jones. Yeah, uh, but it was just a, a perfect description of him for me because he, he, he can do anything you want him to do. If you want to fill him, if you want to put him at... He's played centre-back, hasn't he, for, against Brighton? Against Brighton, yeah. You want to put him right-back, you wouldn't bet against him mm. not being able to do it. He could play anywhere, but he could play anywhere to an OK level. It's He'll never be... As I said in the piece, you'll never set off fireworks. It'll, it'll, it, you know, you'll never see that. But then, as unanalytical as it is, you go back to you know, was it? I think it was Shankly who talked about the the three players who can play the piano and eight players who can eight players who can carry it. Yeah. You know, is he is he sort of the ultimate piano carrier? Is he is he basically Klopp's cog? Well, this is it. Like when you talk about stuff like this regarding output, and people have a go, you know, have a go at you for bringing stats up and things like that. A lot of people, you know, tactical observers and things like that will point at, will, will suggest that he's doing things that you can't measure and things beneath the surface and stuff like that. But I've I've always been, you know, a tactical type of person myself anyway, and I've I've tried to look for that, and I I don't overly see it. I think he's I think he's very good defensively. I think he cuts off passing lanes very well. I remember a quote from somebody, I can't remember who it was, it might have been an ex-coach of Feyenoord or something, and the quote was that at the time he said Wijnaldum can... What was it? It was something along the lines of like he could t- tactically talk off a glass eye or something like that, but <laughs> I can't remember what it was. But it was along the lines of suggesting that Wijnaldum's a very, very tactically aware player, and I wouldn't put that past him. But, you know, watching him on the pitch, watching every event... That he's involved in. It's, I don't know. He's a, as I said, he's just a very hard player to define. Hard player to actually say this is what he does well. This is why we need him. But at the same time, you know he's needed as well. So it's just it's a baffling one. Why now? He's always confused me. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. What won't be baffling though is if Klopp picks him for the, the next game. Football is back, Josh. Proper football. It's Tottenham Hotspur at home. It's it, it's. I'll be honest, I've, I've probably thought about this every day since the international break started. I'll have these little moments when I'm on the train. I'll just think, oh, bloody hell, Liverpool playing Tottenham on Sunday. It's a massive, massive game, isn't it? Like It's 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 it's, it's one of the biggest games for Liverpool to to come back into uh, from the from the international break and kick off this this two month period which could, you know, define it define a generation really. Um not to, to put too much pressure on on the Reds there. But having a little look first of all at the game at Wembley, Liverpool were the much better side, weren't they? And I think that was probably the game where everybody realised that this Liverpool side was serious in the title aspiration uh, title aspirations this year. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to say. That that's for me one of Liverpool's, if not the best performance this season. I think that was the first time in which we really saw Liverpool's level this season. Up until that point, we was obviously good, but you don't know where you're at. And then when you face a fellow title challenger, or so we thought at the time, we just absolutely outperformed them in every area I think they committed suicide though based on their game plan and stuff like that they played completely into our hands but the way in which we played was um, really really mature and we just looked like a, 
on a different level. And to say that in reference to a Spurs side is, you know, proper credit. I remember watching City play at Wembley earlier in the season. And <clears throat> although City deserved to win and he was a better team and all that, the main take I got from it was that there was just a massive difference in in the level of players between City and Spurs. But I think when Liverpool played them, there was that and more, I thought. Mm. I th- you know, we could have really beat... I watched the, every goal-scoring chance we had before on my scout and uh, we, we could have genuinely had about seven if we wanted to. Yep. Um, when Klopp first came in, I've spoken about this on podcasts, you know, on Anfield Index and things like that. When Klopp first came in, he was asked what um, playing style he was going to enforce as Liverpool manager. And he said a German phrase, and it was a... I hope I get this pronunciation right. It was, Umschaltspiel, right? That, in English, translates roughly to shift game, mm. which translates further to transition game. That's basically, you know, when the ball's loose, we are absolutely all over you kind of thing, and we exploit you on a counter-attack and things like that, counter-pressing things, all that nature. This season, we've saw a little bit less of that, and we've been more of a controlling team. But against Spurs, we really, really saw how good we are in transition. And there was just countless times, countless moments, whereby we were in behind their midfield, running in in a goal with about three Spurs defenders trying to cope. Mm. And, you know, from a Tottenham perspective, it was embarrassing. And a lot of it comes down to how good we are and the fact that we created that. But it also stems from Spurs just being a bit of a mess on the day as well. I mean, just to bear that out, seven counter attacks in that game, which was, you know, their average is around 4.2 per game or in all competitions this season. Um, I also found interesting that Liverpool only threw in seven crosses against Tottenham. Um, the average for the season is around 17. Now, is that sort of a really, as you said then, a, a terrible day at the office for Spurs? Was it a ploy from Klopp because he knows that Tottenham naturally play quite narrow um, and therefore if they can win the ball sort of from those narrow positions then you know as you say it presents opportunities for three on three going towards their goal was it a little bit of both I mean what, what what do you read into that and is that something that we could see because we've spoken in the you know looking at the games against Burnley for example Watford um, and Anfield, both of them, we, we sort of aired that caution that you know Liverpool might actually have to cross the ball quite a fair bit in this game. Do you think you might see the reverse here at Anfield? Yeah, well, that was that was an interesting one. I didn't really, um, I didn't really pick up on that when I was watching the match back then. I can't see why crossing would be particularly avoided or favoured mm. against Spurs. Thinking about it, um, one thing I did pick up on before when I was looking into it, it's. Liverpool's long pass percentage against Spurs at Wembley was the highest of all season. Oh, really? That's Yeah, that's out good. of every single game we've played, including the likes of Bayern Munich away and stuff, we have not played more long passes in terms of the percentage of our passes than we did away at Spurs. I'm inclined to think that's perhaps due to how aggressive we were the way that they are. Maybe we wanted to avoid their press and we just played consistently over their midfield. Um, but I thought that one was was particularly interesting. Um, and I I always think as well when it comes to Klopp versus Pochettino, I always think a lot of it stems from a 
who scores first, mm. and <clears throat> and B, which team dominates the ball? Because I think in an ideal scenario, neither team wants the ball mm. almost, and maybe the long pass thing was a means of just giving them the ball. Will let you almost commit suicide against us, and we'll just kill you on the break. <clears throat> and the way the match went, um, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the plan. And hopefully, you know, the match will go a similar way at Anfield. Can he do that at Anfield? Is it, is it easier to... I mean, he probably duped Pochettino in a way and certainly that they duped, you know, the players on the pitch in terms of, yeah, you have the ball, you, you, can, you can do whatever you want with the ball. But that's when Spurs are at home, they're trying to make it... I mean, home, in, in inverted commas. They're trying to make a statement... Um, you know, the, the, arguably that they need to, to to win because they've already dropped points against Watford. Is it a little bit different this time, or you know, will will Spurs sort of go? No, we we know what you're on there. You can have the ball this time, and it's up for you to break us down. I, which, to be fair, is not necessarily a bad thing for Liverpool because the more they have the ball, the in theory, the likely they are. I know counter pressing is their main playmaker at times, but they've still got the players on the ball. You can hurt them, especially the front three. Yeah, I think in previous seasons it would be problematic if they just give us the ball and said, go on, break us down. I think in the past we haven't had much about us and we've been purely a transition team, purely focused on, you know, the shift game that I mentioned before. Um, but I think this season we're, as I said, a lot more controlling and a lot more possession-based. And if I'd expect us to dominate more of the ball because of the home aspect that you've just said. But if we do, I can't, I can't see it being overly problematic. And if Pochettino does look back to that defeat, I'd be amazed if he didn't pinpoint how vulnerable he were in transition as the main flaw. And one thing about Poch and Spurs is just, just so adaptable tactically um, <clears throat> to the point where it's really very impressive. To be honest, this season, for example, they haven't they haven't got a midfield really. Mm. They're des- absolutely desperate for midfielders. I wrote a piece the other day, didn't I, on uh, trying to find Spurs some recruitment for the summer, and two of the po- uh, two of the positions that I identified was midfielders. Mm. I had to recommend two midfielders to them. They've, they've basically got Eric Dyer, Ari Winks, Soko, and you know a one-legged Victor Wanyama. Oh, yeah, I skip. include that, yeah, and skip, yeah. So and the way in which he's adapted and solved that problem is by in playing a diamond and you know it's it's admirable to be honest to see him be able to just solve problems tactically like that i haven't got a midfield so i'll play a diamond which allows me to basically play christian erickson and um deli alley in the midfield and obviously you can use musa's so on there on on the right of the midfield then just uses mobility and stamina going up and down up and down and supporting his, his wide man and that so they're very good at solving problems Tottenham very good at adapting and things like that so I'd be, I'd be very surprised if they were as naive as the as they were at Wembley early in the season Similar setups to Liverpool as well and the fact that Trippier and Rose this season are a top five in their team for key passes so there's somebody they're a team who relies on their fullbacks to, to get forward and, and create as well um, I'd just like to point out as well, Harry Kane there, he's third in terms of key passes. I mean, he, he's he's the complete player, isn't he? Here's this guy, and you talk about adapting. Here's this guy who's... Everybody didn't write off. It's a, it's a negative word, that, but basically assumed he was always just going to be this fox in the box, number nine, 
sort of give him the ball, he'll score almost like a Shearer style. You know, you'll get your 30 goals a season, but he won't contribute to anything else. Third and key passes. It's it's unbelievable how much his games come on under Pochettino. And, you know, he is the man to stop still. And I thought Liverpool did that very well at Wembley. Yeah, he's just absolutely superb player, Harry Kane. Proper, complete striker. Got all-around game. And if you play football manager, he would be the complete striker. He'd have all the green yeah. on complete striker, wouldn't he? he yeah, he definitely. Is. I mean, mind you saying that, though, what we were talking about before regarding output, his output this season, although his game's more complete, you'd mm. say, because he's more of a team player now, his output isn't... He's got a similar radar to, say, for example, Bobby Firmino. Mm. And that's not to say either of them are bad in any stretch, but his actual output has maybe suffered as a result of him being so complete, mm. almost. Um, but yeah, he's a player that we've obviously got to keep quiet. The last time we didn't keep him quiet, I think he's... How many did he score? Yeah, I know he at least scored one, he at least assisted two when Lovren had that night. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was unstoppable that day. Um, so yeah, keep him quiet. Hopefully don't give him a penalty. Don't give him two, at least. Um, <laughs> As he said himself, you don't miss. Uh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't miss You don't two, miss yeah. two. But uh, yeah, he's a top player and we've got to stop him, hopefully. But, you know, I'll use that as a little segue to take it onto shots. Liverpool only allow 6.9 shots per 90. Uh, that's the second best in the league. We don't really allow oppo- opposing teams in, in terms of that, that kind of thing. Spurs allow 10.4. <laughs> So surprising think- that isn't it? Because everyone thinks Pochettino. I mean, I'll move on as well in a little bit to, to you know the, the, how they're overperforming. But everybody expects Pochettino sides to be well drilled and and, and yeah. miserly at the back. But you know, certainly not. Yeah, and no, I spoke to you the week, didn't I? About when I was speaking about the derby, that Everton allow fewer shots than Spurs do on their own goal. Leicester do too, but it's it probably stems from Spurs. You know the the amount of risk. That Spurs include in their game, they're very direct and stuff like that. And as we know by the amount of times they've drawn this season, they're not interested in draws. They'll just they'll just go for it, and that's another thing that's very admirable. That they're, they're a top team, very likable side, and but crucially though, I think they're a worse version of Liverpool. Mm. As bad as it sounds, I, I, I think we're at a different level to them. One, one thing I think Liverpool can learn from them though is the the level of adaptability that they've got, being able to adjust mid-game and stuff like that, it really is impressive. Just talking about shots there as well, which sort of ties in, I had a little look, and Ericsson, Son and Kane all take, uh, you know, on average per 90, one or more shots from outside the box. Um, so, you know, if you're thinking Liverpool only concedes X amounts of shots anyway, you know, if they can restrict them to, to shots outside the box, that'd be even better. It's obviously a tactic that, uh, Tottenham, you know, Tottenham's attacking players go for, but I would raise the point that I don't think, and you know, touch was it doesn't happen on Sunday, but Allison hasn't really been beaten by a long ranger, has he? I can't really think of a goal where. No, nothing comes to mind there. No. It feels like he, you know, he hasn't been beaten by a, an absolute howitzer, so. It's worth looking into that. I, I, I think I will do. I probably should have done it before the podcast, but you know, time time gets away from you. Yeah. Um, but no, it is, you know, the fact that a lot of the, you know, a fair few of their shots are from outside the box, you know, Long may that continue over the next ninety minutes if uh, if if that's the if that's the case again. Well, that that's something I noticed earlier in the season in terms of when we were in in an isolated game, but we we played Wolves away I think, and I noticed how easily we progressed into the final third, and then 
couldn't from there move into the box. Mm. We really struggled to penetrate the actual box. And a lot of moves broke down as a result. And I think Spurs played them like the next week or a week or two later or something like that. And they, they must have shot. I think Harry Kane scored a screamer actually. This was at Wembley. Was this the free one? Uh, the feet. So, but yeah. Harry Kane scored a belt in. Mm. And they had all kinds of shots from outside the box. I posted the graphic on my Twitter of their shot map. And ju- just going back to what I just said about their adaptability. It wouldn't surprise me if that was a direct ploy from Poch to just say, "Okay, we're against Wolves. It's it's difficult to get into the box. If you get if they allow you space at the edge, just shoot." Yeah. Um, and obviously, if that's a consistent thing that's been throughout the season, then maybe it's just a, a ploy that he's consistently implementing when they find it difficult to get close to goal. Mm. Which is obviously what Liverpool, I remember the Burnley game years ago, I think it was Klopp's first full season, very start of the season. And was it? A, I think that was where XG finally started to come into its own because Liverpool had about 20 shots, but the XG was about 0.2 because of the goal from Coutinho, about uh, 40, 40 yards out. Just tying in then to all of that that we've just said about shots, etc. Spurs are massively overperforming if we're going by expected goals, expected assists, hopefully, uh, sorry, expected goals conceded. Hopefully by now you've listened to a fair few of these podcasts. Um, if you haven't, please go back and download some of the others in the archives. But, you know, in terms of expected goals, they, uh, where are we? They are 57 goals they've scored, but they were actually, you know, XG-wise only 50. So that's uh, an overperformance of seven goals. At the other end of the pitch, you know, Pochettino, as I said before, size, it was meant to notoriously be difficult to break down. But they've conceded 32 goals, but they should have actually, you know, according to the X uh, goals conceded, 37. So that's five, um, five more than they should, five fewer than they should have conceded. Um, and their X goals conceded is actually more than Wolves, who you've just mentioned, and, and Leicester. Um, and this is all, it's not all stemmed from Christmas, but uh, New Year. But ultimately, since the turn of the New Year, they're essentially, in terms of, you know, expected goals, expected uh, goals conceded, and expected points. That they're eighth or ninth. Um, I know that obviously ties in a little bit with they've been missing Kane for a little bit of that, and they've obviously had problems with Deli Ali. I think I personally think Ali's really underrated. I think he he, he makes them tick a little bit. Um, but is this is this game a little bit easier than than we're expecting? I, I, I I'm really sort of reluctant to use the word easier, but. Is it not quite as hard as you would think at first glance? I think it is, yeah. And I don't really want to say that either because it could easily haunt us. But they have overperformed all season up until very recently. And it's starting to regress, the, again, regress to the mean. But yeah, the losing to Burnley, the losing to those type of teams, aren't they? Southampton as well. Yeah, well, I looked at the XG before and incessantly they've, they've lost the XG in their last five Premier League matches. In a row, that's Leicester, Burnley, Chelsea, Arsenal, Southampton. In every game, they've been expected to score less than what their opponent has. So that's quite damning. Two of those teams, you go fair enough. Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal, you go. Do you know what? It's it, it, because ultimately they're all fighting for the top four now. But Southampton, Burnley, Leicester, and Leicester. Yeah, it's not good. Um, but that. I suppose ties into the adaptability that I mentioned, Spurs' ability to 
just tactically adjust to win matches. They just find a way to win. It's impressive. It could it could have even been luck, and you know, it could be a mixture of both. But it's hard to find really. But they they have overperformed all season up until recently. I should say though that in inside that they did play Dortmund twice and beat them both times. Mm. But in the Premier League, they do seem to have dropped off. And you know, at, at Wembley, we as I said, we really, you know, for lack of a better word, we battered them. Mm. Um, and hopefully we'll see that again. And based on the underlying performance that we look into, it's it's plausible that that, that could happen again. Let's hope it does. Um, I know we never make predictions on this podcast and we never will, but are we both sort of quietly confident Liverpool can, can get the three points? Yeah. Uh, there's more concern and hurdles, I'd say, for, for Liverpool. Really? Now, that's team. interesting because yeah. obviously the bookmakers would have... I think Liverpool will be the longest odds they will be to, to win any game this season. They're both four to six at the moment. Would you have Chelsea? I'd have harder. I'd be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. But, but having said that, I rate Spurs higher. But the 6-0 defeat that Chelsea sustained against City, since then they've slightly adjusted how naive they are mm. tactically against big opponents. And they've been a little more, little bit more pragmatic, a little bit more streetwise, really. And as a result, harder to break down. You know, they lasted 120 minutes with City at Wembley. Mm. And... They went to penalties, they didn't concede a single goal. And they played Spurs recently after it and beat them 2-0, was it? Yep. I think it was 2-0. So, and they've got players that you've got to bear in mind. They've got, they've got a team that was built by Antonio Conte and a bit of Jose Mourinho in there as well. Mm. Two obviously very strategic defensive coaches, so they're more than happy to show pressure, and they can do. And they, for me, just pose a bit more of a concern than than Spurs do. Just because I think Spurs are more inclined to play their own game and they've got the more proud. The usual sort of Liverpool, can, yeah. can, it, it yeah, plays I mean, into Liverpool's hands. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, Chelsea would like that. But as I said, the 6 0 defeat, I think, really humbled them, mm. brought them down to earth, crashing. And since then, as I said, they've adjusted a little bit and they've become a, a little bit cleverer, really. Rightly so as well, because when you lose 6-0, it shouldn't happen mm-hmm. again, really, should it? Yeah. Liverpool playing Chelsea at Anfield in April with a title to win. Well, what, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, thanks very much for joining us this week, Josh. Hopefully next week we will be, well, we will be back, but hopefully we will be talking about how Liverpool's title charge is still going on. Just very, very quickly before we go, uh, I've got a funny feeling, Josh, that Fulham are going to get a point at Man City. Can you please tell me that I'm wrong? Uh, I can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I need. Totally That's what it. I need. Being brought back down to earth. But hopefully Liverpool win. They get the three points and they remain top of the Premier League, albeit with a game in hand. Thanks very much for joining us this week. We will be back next week. I've been Christian. That was Josh. Have a very good week and let's hope that Liverpool can see off Spurs. Thanks very much. Bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.